As we continue in this study of the book of 1 Corinthians, we see there are no shortage of issues. For a church so small in number, it's a wonder that all these things were going on. In today's episode, we'll look at the problems that the Corinthians were having in corporate worship and fellowship and what the Apostle Paul has to say to help them. All this and more on today's episode of Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we have been in a series here. We're in the thick of it. This is the sixth of seven part series. And in the last episode of Groundwork, we talked about how Paul addressed in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he talked about the issue of Christian freedom. And he wanted to help the ones who are actually having issues with one another because one group of them would want to be free and eat whatever they'd like to eat. And then the others, they came from a place of food sacrificed to idols, so it becomes a stumbling block to them. So how do they have fellowship with one another? How are they able to work together? And to be able to show love to my brother or my sister means that I might have to abstain from the things that are a challenge to them. Exactly. Freedom is great. But love is greater. Yeah, that was sort of the bottom line. We should want to be the servant of all. That's what we talked about in uh, the last episode. And let love set the tone. Now uh, we're going to move into uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13. It's a lot of ground to cover in this episode. And we're going to deal with some different issues, Daryl. But the bottom line is going to be the same. It's going to be all about love again, love for one another. So as love undergirds this whole theme of these next few chapters, we're going to start in this chapter where we're talking about love feasts. Just imagine if you had some people over for dinner and they come in and they totally disregard that you invited them. They're rude and obnoxious to you. They trash the place. They're drinking too much and they eat all the food before the other guests come and they're very rude to you and leave you with the cleaning bill. That right there is kind of a nutshell version of what the Corinthian church is going through. They are not showing love to one another in these get togethers and the gatherings that they had. And that is causing all types of problems that Paul needs to address. And, you know, it would be bad enough if that happened at my house or your house. We invited some folks over and they were they were that rude or people are arriving at different times. And uh, most of the food was gone from the potluck before um, others arrived. And if this were only if this love feast, right, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, if that also were just a church potluck, that'd be rude enough, right? That'd be rude. But the thing is, is that we know that in the early church, what you call love feasts, it does appear to have been a communal meal, but it incorporated the Lord's Supper. Right. It incorporated the sacrament. This isn't just an ordinary potluck we're talking about where people are being rude and unloving toward uh, some members of the church. This is the sacrament of our Lord. That magnifies the offense here hugely. That actually points to the problem that they have with unity and community with one another. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and 22, in the following directives, I, Paul, have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead and eat with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. 
<laughs> yeah, no warm fuzzies from Paul on this one. Uh, th- this is pretty serious uh, because, again, it does incorporate the Lord's Supper into this. So they're corrupting uh, a sacrament. And the ir- ironic thing there, too, Daryl, is that, you know, by partaking of the one body of Christ, we are supposed to become one body in the church. Exactly. Uh, and to have divisions like this and stratifications like this where the rich people who could get off work earlier show up and eat all the food, and then the poor people who had to work later, they go hungry. I mean, that again, that's not just a social faux pas. That's not just kind of, you know, not being Martha Stewart nice. Right. Um, this is the Lord's Supper. And Paul talks about that. He said, look, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. This is verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what you're doing at these love feasts, Paul says, and it comes straight from Jesus. So when you mess this up, you know, you're messing up some directives that come directly from our Lord. Yeah, Scott, I just want to go back to what you were saying about how these people were treating each other. And I could ashamedly admit that sometimes I've had this quote unquote click mentality where I just want to hang around people who are like me, people who have things in common with me. And that I see is a problem that is happening in the Corinthian church. And you can't display the unity of the body that comes from the the Lord's Supper that you're talking about eating and have this kind of attitude and mentality towards one another. And the fact that Christ instituted this very thing, Scott, it means it's special. It means it's sacred. And we don't want to forget the host of the meal who is Christ himself because Calvin teaches that he is somehow present when we're having the meal together. So we don't want to forget the host. You know, the Roman Catholics always refer to the bread as the host. And because that's associated with the mass and so forth, a lot of us Protestants have moved away from that kind of language, you know, because it sounds too Catholic. Sure. But you're right. The bread uh, is the host because Christ is the host. He's the one who's uh, in charge of this particular potluck, if you will, right? Uh, he's the ultimate host. He's the one that we're sitting at table with. And so we want to be like him and recognize what that means for our context. Because, you know, in verse 29, Paul has a very famous verse, which has made a lot of people nervous for centuries, which is, you're going to eat and drink judgment unto yourself if you fail to discern the body. And a lot of people think that means discerning the bread and the cup and getting their theology right Right. so that they've got the theology of the Lord's Supper. That's not the body Paul means. Paul means discerning the body of Christ, which is your congregation. And you're treating people this way. You're acting in an anti-Jesus way. Um, You're not discerning that you're part of one body with these other believers, and you're supposed to love them. You're supposed to use your freedom to make other people's lives better, and that's certainly what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do. And because Christ, in his way of instituting this supper, he did that in a process of loving one another and in the context of serving one another, that is the standard by which this whole meal and these whole feasts are supposed to happen. And theologically speaking, if we think about how we were the poor beggar and we were unable to Mm. attend or pay Mm. the debt of our own sins, Christ himself provided a way by his own sacrifice so that we could even have this meal. And so because he showed a love example, we need to make sure that we show the love example in our everyday lives. Exactly. Think of uh, the Gospel of John's context where Jesus institutes this meal and it was preceded by foot washing. Yes. Jesus stripped down and he did the menial 
servant task of cleaning all their dirty feet. Uh, and he said, now I've set you an example. That's my new commandment for you, love one another. So to not show love for our fellow members in the middle of taking the Lord's Supper, which was going on in Corinth, that was something that uh, Paul found to be more than just a little bit troubling, to put it mildly. That's true. And in just a minute, we're just going to dig deeper into the next chapter to talk about a completely different topic. However, the theme of love will still undergird it. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this uh, sixth episode, the second episode to last of a seven-part series on 1 Corinthians. Daryl, we've just been in 1 Corinthians 11, fairly well-known chapter to many of us on the Lord's Supper and how they were not celebrating the Lord's Supper in the spirit of love and unity that is the very heart of communion, the very heart. Even that word communion, we're supposed to be in communion with each other. And so Paul said, look, you have to discern the body, which is the believers around you, and you're supposed to love them. Now we're going to move into chapter 12, and now this that image of the body and the need to love within that body is going to come even more to the forefront. So Paul does this thing where he wants to make it even more real for us by using this body language that he's going to use in chapter 12. And it really reminds me of playing with my kids when we get the puzzle out and we start putting the pieces together. Um, some kids will work on a corner. Some kids will work on shape, putting the colors and shapes together. And we all have the box to look to, Scott, where we see, okay, this is the reference of where we're going with this. And what I see is that that puzzle connection fits uh, no pun intended. It's designed to help us understand that the Holy Spirit has given different pieces of the gifts to people in the body. And then we're supposed to fit them together to see what all God is up to. And Paul uses this analogy in chapter 12. Uh, you can't put a puzzle together without having the, the guiding picture. And Paul wants the body of Christ to fit together by keeping our eyes on Christ exactly. and on Christ Jesus and recognize that we are his body now. We are his sort of temple on earth. But like all bodies, right, just like on, a, on most jigsaw puzzles, except for some of those really nasty jigsaw puzzles that are like just all white clouds, <laughs> you can clearly tell that there are different parts of the puzzle. And in the body of Christ, there are different parts. And we need all of the parts fitting together, working together, if we're going to look like Jesus, if we're going to look like what the picture on the cover of the puzzle box is, which is Christ. And I think it's important that Paul is pointing out that each and every piece of that puzzle piece and each and every spiritual gift, if we're going to keep with the scripture, is absolutely important. And he makes it clear that there are no indispensable pieces of it. If you look at verses 15 and on, it says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop 
being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that aren't presentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Great image. Man, I'm excited about it too, Scott, because it removes, it decentralizes the specialist who I just need to be a pastor or I got to have a doctorate degree or I have to have, I have to be called as a missionary or whatnot. No, everyone has, if you're a believer, Scott, you have a gift, at least one spiritual gift. And that gift is not indispensable or inferior to whoever you have that has those titles or those achievements. And I'm not knocking them. I'm a pastor myself. But the idea is that every believer has a gift and that gift is important. And the body can't work without it. And it doesn't matter what your gift is or whether you're out front in the church or way behind the scenes, whether uh, you're listed in the bulletin as having a special task to do on a given Sunday or you're somebody who's, you know, just doing something else. The body can't work uh, without everybody. In fact, I think uh, Paul's uh, got a little bit of humor going on here. I mean, can you imagine uh, seeing uh, just a giant eyeball rolling down a sidewalk (laughs) or just a giant ear leaning up against a building? We would say, that's not a body. That's an eyeball. That's an ear. That's not a body. I mean, so the ear can hear. What's it going to do? So the eye can see, can't hear a thing. So I think Paul's being a little cheeky here a little bit by sort of saying that'd be ridiculous. If if you were just a foot, how would you eat? You wouldn't have a hand, you know, you wouldn't. uh, So he has a little fun with that. But there are two extremes here that he covers here, Daryl. One extreme would be to say, because I'm not the pastor. Right. You know, I, I just bake pies and, and bring food to our, our homebound members. Because I'm not the pastor, I don't really matter much. I, I, I hardly even belong. No, don't discount how important you are. Right. The other extreme, though, is one that maybe we're even more prone to because I'm the pastor. I'm way uh, more important yes. than the people who bake the pies. I mean, come on. You know, I'm the preacher. I went to seminary. I'm more important than the people who serve the funeral meals or who quietly send cards in the mail to encourage the discouraged. Nope. Don't do that either, Paul says. Don't discount yourself and don't overinflate yourself. That usually happens when we take our eye off the picture. Remember the puzzle pieces? The picture is the great commission that must be fulfilled that we're all ministers of the gospel of reconciliation to Christ. And so I heard a message the other day, Scott, and it said, who's the minister here? And everybody would point to the pastor. He says, oh, no, no, no. Every single one of us is the minister because we are all ministers of reconciliation. And we all have been given the gift that God willed for us to be able to fulfill that. Exactly. And again, to go back to the um, the bodily analogy, I mean, granted, uh, there are lots of parts inside our bodies, spleens and kidneys and, you know, whatnot that we don't think about a lot. 
But if something goes wrong with that part, you're laid up. Oh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It's like, man, I, I need that spleen. I mean, I don't think about it all the time, but if it's not in there doing its job, I can get really, really, really sick. Or, you know, I mean, I've, I've uh, sometimes had uh, some problems with, with my feet. And if your foot is sore... There's not much you can do. I mean, you, you're going to hobble around if, or, or you're, you know, you're not going to be able to shop at the store because it just hurts too much to walk. Every part is important. And if something goes wrong with any part, it affects everything and everybody. Uh, and that's another point Paul makes here. Paul is saying that we're one body organized into these very important parts and there's no need for comparison because each part is needed. Whatever gift you have is his will for you to have. And the love is made known when we work together in those gifts, not thinking that our gift is either better than or worse than someone else. And we display that love. Even if we think our gifts is inferior, it is not. And this is one thing we've, we've talked about before, that the, uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit we're all supposed to have all the fruit, but the gifts of the spirit are different for each person. And that's what makes the body work. Uh, and we need every single gift and we need to love. I like how Paul said, you know, when one body part does well, all the other parts rejoice yeah. uh, because that's what we do in love. And speaking of love, that leads us to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we have been, Scott, digging into this episode with these truths that Apostle Paul has been teaching us from chapters 11 and chapter 12. And we're going to look here now at chapter 13. There's a lot of people who at their weddings or at their chapels or at their renewing of their vows, they use these verses. And it seems that they replace their vows with these and they want to make sure that everyone knows this is what we want our love to be about. But Paul wants us to know there's so much more going on in this chapter than just, you know, us taking the part out and using it for what our purposes are. First Corinthians 13 is one of those parts of the Bible that we've carved out of its original context. And we kind of act like it just kind of hangs out there on its own. Now, it's a beautiful chapter, beautifully written, sure, but it has a context, right? I, I often said to people, I mean, who choose this for their wedding, I say, you know, this isn't, this wasn't meant to be a wedding text. I said, this is a text that Paul is addressing to some people in Corinth who were kind of arguing and, and, and kind of trying to tear each other's eyes out. So it's not a wedding text, but it might be a marriage text after all. You know, once the, the, the honeymoon is over, this maybe fits marriage after all. But, but let's listen to these, uh, uh, for many of us, again, familiar words from chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains— but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor things. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All you need is love. And in a much bigger way than John Lennon and the Beatles meant it. Yeah. Um, because the, and again, the, this is so important because Paul's just come off of, you know, what, three or four different chapters where he's talking about people using their Christian freedom to abuse weaker members of the faith. He's talking about people who, you know, abuse their position in society to ruin the Lord's Supper. He's talking about people who are elevating their gifts in the church above others. And in every single setting— Paul says some version of, you got to love, you got to love. This stuff with the Lord's Supper, this stuff with arguing about whose gift is the most important or whether speaking in tongues is the most important or whether your freedom is more important, all of that will go away if you just love each other. And so now chapter 13 is sort of like the exclamation mark on chapters 9 through 13 with this ode to Christ-like love. And you know what's interesting is that love is the atmosphere in which all these things happen, and it is the motive by which you do all these things that Paul has been saying. And I was thinking about the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. Thermometer actually reads the temperature and that's it. But the thermostat actually sets the temperature. Now, Paul is telling us, Scott, that the Corinthians need to set the temperature to love and just leave it there. You know how you have the one that you program and it stays the way it is? Well, you want to actually set that to love because if you love, you'll serve well. If you love, you won't be taking your neighbor to court. If you love well, you'll be able to forgive. If you love well, you'll wait for the love feast to come together in unity under Christ's body. It's just the atmosphere in which all Christians should be living. And there's, there's a song about it that they will know we are Christians by our love. And unfortunately, uh, they question our faith when they see us not loving each other. Exactly. And we talked about that a little bit in the previous episode, too, with, uh, when my personal sense of freedom makes me kind of, uh, you know, run roughshod and bulldoze over top of you, the world sees that, too. And it sure doesn't look like what we think Jesus looks like, uh, that picture of Christ that, that we talked about in the previous segment uh, in terms of gifts. And it is interesting. I mean, Paul runs through a pretty impressive list of things that you could do incredibly well, preaching and prophesying and discerning mysteries. And you, you got to have a faith that moves mountains, even, Paul says. And if you aren't loving, God says, and I say, who cares? So what? Right. <laughs> so what? Uh, don't show me your resume. Don't show me you know, your list Curriculum of accomplishments. Yeah. Show me your love. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I, I think we've known and we've, I, I bet we've experienced leaders, uh, pastors, preachers, elders, deacons, anybody in the church. They maybe do a lot of things, but if when you get to know them, they're kind of mean then it's sort of like, I can't even listen to that preaching anymore. He writes really good sermons, but when you get to know him, he's just mean and arrogant. And I can't hear him anymore because he's not acting like Jesus anymore. And that's love. So speaking of love, Scott, I think we could get a little bit practical here and think about how, you know, I was talking about the thermostat and Mm -hmm. how it's set to love. Like, how do we set the tone of love in our actions and our thoughts 
in our in our in our motives and and how do we allow that to permeate in the places we spend our time in our homes our schools our jobs our community i think that paul is trying to get the corinthians to understand this is a church thing but it doesn't need to stay in the church to happen it needs to permeate everywhere they go so i think that i'm challenged to look inside and see what it is i can do practically to let my love shine so christ can be glorified I recently came in for some criticism for something I wrote, and somebody was a little bit mean uh, toward me. And a friend of mine who kind of defended me in a private email to me said, the reason the person said that and wrote that is because he forgot the basic advice of my grandmother. Before you open your mouth, ask yourself, is it true? (laughs) Is it helpful? Is it kind? If it's no to any of those, then keep your mouth shut because we want to set that thermostat at love. And when we do, it'll modulate what we say and what we do, thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we wrap up our series and study the concluding chapters of 1 Corinthians. Be sure not to miss the next episode of Groundwork. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.